Hello, everybody. It's your host, Jordan Cruciola, and I will do my usual introduction in just a moment here. But first, I wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who's already become a member of Maximum Fun and decided that they want to support Feeling Seen. I know there are more of you out there, and you should come join us. We are one of the newest shows on the network, and it is just thrilling to know we have people out there who value this podcast and want to see it thrive, um, because I super do as well. And of course, there will be more on that later. But today's main event is none other than Janet Barney. She is an accomplished actor, real-life actor, voice actor, and a major fixture in the California comedy world, also a fellow Max Bunster. She is just the perfect person to have a one-on-one with during the drawing to the close of Max Fun Drive. We are coming down the final stretch, and we are doing it with JV Club's very own Janet Barney. And then later on in the episode, I will, of course, have one quick thing before I go about the director of the hour, Peter Jackson. And uh, but that's it. Let's wrap up the preamble and let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun? I said the network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Feeling Scene podcast, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. And clearly, I'm in a state about our guest being here, I guess, like with me <laughs> fucking up the name of the podcast that I host because I've been excited to talk to Janet Varney again, extending our dynamic, I guess, from my appearance on her podcast, The JV Club, yes. which is also a Maximum Fun pod. Um, And I kind of, I hardly know actually how to introduce you from there because I feel like you're somebody who does a million things and it's like, work that is visible work that is invisible like you're pulling strings you're coordinating things you do as a sketch fest like which is i don't know are you the are you like the brain trust of that like what is the best way for us to set the listeners up with janet barney and the i don't know renaissance woman profile you have i think just welcome to maximum funds janet varney we can just say maximum fun <laughs> as much as possible we're both i'll tell you i knew exactly why you said it which is that we are we are. We've been thinking a lot about Max Fun Drive, so that it's yeah. it's top of mind and it's completely <laughs> understandable. And I do have my podcast, The JV Club, on the Max Fun Network, and your episode is one of my longest. Like it, we we definitely. <laughs> I did not want to stop talking to you. It was clear that I did not want to stop talking to you. It was a very long episode. I loved it. I'm good at a long conversation. I absolutely loved it. So I'm very very happy to be doing your pod and. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. And I suggested a movie and you were like, dude, yes. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, that you made were, me very happy. And you were like, ooh, this movie? Should we? And <laughs> so what? Tell the folks at home then what movie and what character you have brought for us to discuss today. Well, it's just one of those things where, you know, I kind of try not to overthink stuff because if I do start to think about anything, it becomes an overthink. Um, there's sort of not anything in between. So when Marissa asked, you know, what what character I thought I would do, something immediately popped to mind. And I definitely sort of went like, oh, yeah. Oh, no. Well, yes. <laughs> but yes. But no. So I... The whole kombucha girl I, meme. The whole kombucha. Yeah, exactly right. The movie is Heavenly Creatures. Mm-hmm. Kate Winslet plays Juliet. She is a young woman from England who had many bouts with tuberculosis, including through the, the film's period of time that it's covering. Um, Melanie Linsky plays Pauline. She's a sort of modest, lower middle class kid They uh, who has had her own issues. I've got scars. They're on my lungs. I spent months in bed during the war, ravaged by respiratory illness. Mommy and Daddy sent me to the Bahamas to recuperate. I didn't see them for five years. But we're together now, and Mummy's promised they'll never leave me again. I spent ages in hospital too, with my leg. I had to have all these operations. I was 
osteomyelitis turns your bones to chalk. They meet together at this at this public girls' school, and mm-hmm. they just are very drawn to each other. Certainly, the way it's depicted in the film, Pauline is is very taken with uh, mm-hmm. Juliet first, but I think very quickly there's more of uh, there's there's definitely something they they share that infatuation. It yeah. doesn't to me it does not read like one of them is sort of oblivious to the other, but allowing her to tag along or no, it feels you know, whatever. It feels very reciprocal and yeah. very protective. They're very protective of each other. Cheer up. All the best people have bad chests and bone diseases. It's all frightfully romantic. And so ultimately they do feel that, you know, they are being kept apart by this sort of system, which in their case can be trickled down all the way to Mm -hmm. just their parents. And then they sort of find a way to isolate one parent as the primary problem. It's unclear in the film exactly Mm -hmm. why. And even in just the research I was doing, it still was Mm. kind of unclear to me why they focused in on her. Um, It's Pauline's Um, mother, correct? On on yeah. Pauline's mother, um, Honora, uh, like spelled like honor uh, with an A at the end, Honora, and they do they are going to be separated because um, the reason that that Juliet's family moved to Christchurch is that her father was becoming kind of the vice chancellor of Canterbury mm. College there. He was there for a year. They didn't like him. It sounded like he was really <laughs> conservative and they actually thought that he was too kind right, of reductive right, right. about the university rather than being more diverse. And uh, and and then also Juliet's continuing to have problems with tuberculosis. Um, and so there's this idea that they're She's going to leave New Zealand. She's maybe going to go to South mm-hmm. Africa to further treat her TB. Um, her parents continually just ship yeah. her off places and or leave her behind. They're just used to having this this daughter that sometimes is around and sometimes yeah. is in the hospital. And so they decide that Paul will go with, you know, the two girls decide Paul's going to have to go with Juliet to South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, she can't get a passport. She's supposed to have her parents' permission. And it goes from she can't go because she can't get her parents' permission for a passport to, yeah. I think if we kill my mother, this will all work out. <laughs> yeah. Our main idea for the day was to moider mother. This notion is not a new one, but this time it is a definite plan which we intend to carry out. We have worked it out carefully and are both thrilled by the idea. Naturally, we feel a trifle nervous. But the pleasure of anticipation is great. You know, picking a specific character versus kind of looking at, at elements of the movie overall was challenging just in the sense of, you know, I, like many of us, I think one of the things that's so compelling about the relationship between um, Paul or Pauline or Yvonne, mm-hmm. depending on who's saying her name, and right. and Juliet or Deborah, depending on who's saying Deborah. Her name. I love Deborah. Um, right. Uh, <laughs> I think one of the things that's compelling about it is that we see, perhaps, or at least I do, see myself in both of those girls, and they're very mm-hmm. different one from the other. Um, so I, I I said Kate Winslet's character because I definitely was more like raise your hand too fast in the classroom <laughs> than I was like sit in the back pouting. So that's sort of like that was the criteria that I used to choose Kate Winslet. But um but you know it's almost like the whole the relationship itself yeah. is the character that uh, you know I sort of was like oh oh I feel like it's a very interesting way of putting it cuz like the relationship itself it is a character on its own within Heavenly Creatures is based on the story of the Parker Hume uh, killings in Christchurch, New Zealand, I think in 1954, mid-1950s, yeah. where these two teenage girls become enamored of one another. And over the course of the movie, they like they build this world between one another and their connection becomes increasingly more intimate and then it becomes physical. And there is a sort of, there is a, a, a canonically lesbian desperate longing for one another. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> and a lot and and a lot of role playing which I think that was another thing that felt very yeah. very familiar to me was, mm. you know, as a kid even younger than the girls are in this in this movie, you know, I was like just doing a lot of making out with girlfriends and it was all in the mm. guise Interesting. of let's pretend we're these characters. Was the introduction of that conceit something that was mutually arrived upon or did you find 
that that was like was that brought up to you and you were like yeah sounds like a good idea I can't remember I don't remember one of us or the other initiating it I definitely think there were situations later where like I might have initiated the idea of that because I had done it before um now I'm like oh no I hope I didn't like do some make a like a tiny girlfriend of mine like smooch me when she didn't want to I don't think any of that happened. I don't think you did that uh, (laughs) you're now preoccupied I gotta go um (laughs) no but it was just sort of like let's play boyfriend girlfriend I mean those those were the words that we used and so that's it's an interesting literally what she says in Jennifer's body to needy she's like we can play boyfriend girlfriend yeah that's like a thing right and so yeah, maybe that came from the outside and it was just part of the like zeitgeist as you're as you're growing up in in a, in a very kind of, you know, um, heteronormative society. But um, but that was a great kind of way to push past whatever you wanted. And I'm sure in some cases there was just sort of a natural curiosity and it was just like, let's play act and see what kissing feels like. And maybe sure. there weren't feelings attached. Um so that also felt very familiar. And I do not think I'd seen that in any movie before. This idea of I'm this person and you're this person and we're just going to spend two straight nights and days making love to each other <laughs> in the characters of these people we've created in our fourth world, which is the name <laughs> of heaven, the non-heaven that they have created wherein wow. it's not hell, but it is where all the artists and poets and everyone goes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Daddy says the Bible's a load of bunkum. But we're all going to heaven. I'm not. I'm going to the fourth world. It's sort of like heaven. Only better, because there aren't any Christians. It's an absolute paradise of music, art, and pure enjoyment. So... You know, it's and it sounds great. It sounds really great. So yeah, so 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 all of that, and and to the idea of still idolizing male figures and mm. and incorporating them into your fantasy, um, mm-hmm. while also being completely attracted to each other and very again in love with and protective of one another. Um, that also felt like very familiar. That they're not mutually exclusive. You know. Mm-hmm. I also hadn't watched the movie in a little bit. And, you know, the older you get, the closer you get towards the parents' age. Right, right, yeah. The more you're like, oh, gosh, this is, uh, this is rough. <laughs> this is rough. But, you know, the, when I saw the movie, when I first saw the movie, I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, I, I just, I, of course, I was horrified by what happened. Of course. But, you know, what is most exciting about the movie is the relationship and mm-hmm. the fact that all of the... The diary entries that the very, very fine Melanie Linsky, who yes. I was so starstruck struck when I now I can call her a friend. But oh when my I met her, God. sort of finding out like this was her first real job. Yeah. And, you know, the, but anyway, so the, the diary entries are all real. Those are all mm-hmm. real diary entri- en- entries from Pauline. And yeah, it's really like for as fantastic and as imaginative and as intimate as the movie is mm-hmm. he kind of i mean it's kind of all there except for afterwards okay. and the, and when they you know are interviewed by the police and when they are f- find her diaries and stuff which is sort right. of a little you know um series of chirons at the end uh that peter jackson does like okay yeah yeah and then this and this and this happened anyway <laughs> yeah. let's go to the credits uh, <laughs> it was it's really interesting and it's I can't imagine how to me it would have seemed so intimidating because, you know, New Zealand's a small country and this was kind of the most famous crime that had occurred there. Right. And if you're not unless you're talking about like ruining indigenous people's lives. But anyway, it's cool. Right. Um, sure, 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 sure. Unless we're talking about system wide state sanctions. <laughs> correct. Yeah. Yeah. The most individuated uh, white <laughs> yeah. person to white person crime. Well, um, I would imagine, like I would, like you said, with like especially like at the time in the in the say the mid century, with the size of that country, kind of I would imagine takes on the scope of something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Totally, like totally great. Where it comparison. becomes like the face of yes. madness. Is, yes, oh, and it becomes 100%. this like Leopold and Loeb, the size of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. A hundred percent. And also, like, you know, the context of it, boy, it it also feels, especially for that era, 
like it probably would have done the same thing if it was in Lawrence, Kansas. Like it probably <laughs> would have done the same thing and would have been known across the United States, frankly. Um, well, especially like two girls, something that's Two girls scandalous. who may or may not have been up to some hanky-panky behind exactly. closed doors. Mm-hmm, our mm-hmm. girls, our girls! <laughs> you know what I mean? Those girls are up to something in the bathroom. I think they're taking photographs of each other. Just leave them alone, Henry. I'm prepared to tolerate that Reaper girl's presence, but I will not stand for any, you know, hanky-panky. I'm sure it's all perfectly innocent. And again, he does a great job of, of really showing his interpretation of both of the their isolations, that mm-hmm. their respective isolations and their health problems, and he sets it up so nicely for... You know, there could only be in this small community, like the chance that the two found each other. Yeah. It feels very romantic. So it's really it's tough. It's a tough watch because you kind of feel for everybody. And that's an uncomfortable place to be. Well, it does have this the 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 sort of desperate, destined connection between Paul and Deborah, these yeah. genderqueer in persona teens. Yeah. It feels like it feels like Romeo and Juliet in its sort of all-consuming scope. Yeah. But it's instead of them taking their own lives, they they are they are driven to madness and they take the they take the lives of, of one of their mothers, of Polly's yeah. mom. And even in that quality of like its dreaminess, the way that yes. Peter Jackson is so like Peter Jackson's a great director, we know this, but early Peter Jackson, there is such a, like, you get such an incredible sense of his taste for the fantastic. And in this, too, like, the the, the fantasy scenes where we see them as, like, crowned queens, like, cheersing with one another with goblets of wine and wearing, like, capes. Yes. I like the creation of this world that is so complete that it feels like they really are apart in another dimension almost yeah. with one another because... Yeah. That is what that sort of all-consuming codependency yeah. takes on with another person, especially when you're fucking teenagers. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It really, I mean, and it's hard not to want to use the, like, folie à deux thing because this feels like <laughs> sort of the classic kind of... What's what's interesting about... Because I feel like folie à deux, which means... Or I'm sure everyone knows this, but it just means, like, the, the two... The crazy that comes... Was born of two people. You know, in a lot of those cases, um, they're people will be talking about adults, like adult real life true crime mm-hmm. cases where there's this folie à deux. And usually it's like this one person was very magnetic and kind of plotted everything and mm-hmm. the other one was sucked into that kind of vortex. Yeah. And and so that's usually how, it, at least in my encounters of it, mm-hmm. it's used. And it almost feels more right when it's too totally underdeveloped brain-wise mm-hmm. hormonal young women who... Both experience this tremendous isolation, you know, have they each have sort of weird abandonment issues or, you know, identity issues. And um, not that that part's weird, but and and then to find each other and like you've are like if you are a kid who was isolated or who was like sort of trapped in your own body mm-hmm. in any period of time through an illness, your imagination goes crazy. I mean, if you're mm-hmm. lucky, frankly, mm-hmm. it goes crazy. And right. and I mean crazy in the most loving, wonderful, appreciative way. Yeah. Because you become so adept at world building and if you're a smart kid, you find ways to use that to your advantage. And so having two people who both of whom have this rich imagination and kind of awakening it even more in each other feels like, oh, no, they went down this road together. Like they really went down this road together. And and it's it's really intoxicating. It's really intoxicating. Only the best people fight against all obstacles in pursuit of happiness. Well, I think like that just in the sense of that, like, what isolation breeds like there was that documentary from a few years ago the wolf pack that was that that family that collection of brothers yes. who basically never left their apartment like in new york city and they like this documentary is made about them because they are devoted film fans yeah and they do elaborate like recreations of cinema they've memorized yeah because they have to build a world that's bigger than the one that they're inside of. Yeah. Otherwise, 
you either you either I feel like fully go astray of your faculties and start sort of like losing grip on things or you're like, okay, I'm going to have the most rich imagination that a human being could possibly have. And I'm going to live within a bubble of fantasy oftentimes that to other people would seem even probably impossible to create. But I am so I am so encapsulated here. The 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 world as it exists around me, I would imagine, is either like so uninviting or so scary or so impossible to reach that it becomes your only option. Like it. Yes. You know what? I'm not saying it was rational, but I am saying I see the straight line. Yes. (laughs) For how they got to where they were. A hundred percent. Well, a thing I I think I do want to ask you then. So like when did you see this in the 90s? Did you see this around movie when it came out? I saw this movie when it came out. Was this movie unique? to other things you had seen with its presentation of, like, this relationship between these girls? Or did you... Because this is also the 90s, a fascinating time yeah. for, A, queer killers and erotic thrillers. I know. Um, There's so many dangerous, bisexual yeah, girls I know. I know. who will fuck your dad and I you know. and your mom and your boyfriend. <laughs> it really was. It was, like... it's so It's such an interesting period of time because... In many ways, I mean, there's su- there's stuff <laughs> that definitely. I mean, a few a few years ago for Pride Month, I was like, oh, let me just like list. I'll just do you know, on Instagram, I'll list like ten movies that had you know queer characters, um, yeah. or or you know experimentally queer whatever yeah. characters because you're so hungry for that when mm-hmm. you're a young person, and that was an era in which I was a child into uh, being a teenager, and I was so hungry for that. I mean, I've like I. I loved Basic Instinct. I oh, yeah. loved uh, Poison, Poison Ivy. Ivy. I loved Wild Things. Uh-huh. I loved Henry and June. I <laughs> loved like any, and most of it was Alicia Silverstone's entire early filmography <laughs> up to the point of Batman and Robin. Like, but yeah, I mean, I was I was looking for that, um, not because I wanted to see a bunch of you know bisexual girls kill someone, mm-hmm. but I think. I think it it did feel like progress in some, you know, in some way. It felt like, well, at least I'm seeing something. Something. You know what I mean? And if if you're looking at this as a metaphor, if you sort of Mm -hmm. can twist it into a metaphor of like, you know, the the sort of danger that society feels about Mm -hmm. this fluidity, Mm -hmm. then you can sort of... Like you can you can reverse the harmful stereotype and turn it into like, aha, but really, this is just a big metaphor and (laughs) there's nothing wrong with what's happening. But it has to be depicted in this way where they're crazy and are killing people because that's just that's just holding a mirror up to society, man. Right. Well, it becomes the thing of like, do you like in in the history of queer presence in horror? It's like, do you see yourself in the the hero or or the monster? And in seeing yourself in the monster, is it because you identify? identify with like wanting to have the power to destroy or because you feel a resonance with the marginalized outcast character who and if you do there becomes a lot of like emotional connection in the idea of someone fighting back against everything around them that tells them they can't be what they are exactly we're going to take a quick break but we will be back with more janet barney lucky you Tomorrow is the last day of the drive, the maximum fun drive. You're all very sad about it. So now is your chance to make that pledge, make that little pledge, make that big pledge, not only to this show, but to a community of listeners that care about other people and the world around them and want their podcasts to reflect those values. Vote with your dollars. Vote for us. That might sound grandiose, but there are a lot of entertainment companies that we throw five, 10, or even $20 at each month that make us feel not so good about paying them and supporting their uh, titanic multinational corporate ambitions. Uh, if we give them even a moment's extra bit of thought, Maximum Fun is not one of those companies. It's a company that you can feel good about supporting. It's a company that I feel great about being a part of. Um, what's more, 70% of your money goes directly to the shows that you say you listen to. You have a direct impact. You make a difference. The dollars go straight to where you want them to support, which is awesome. And that is why you want to go. I know you want to. 
you need to and you want to go to MaximumFun.org slash join and hit that feeling scene checkbox. Give the movement a groundswell of momentum. We are insurgent. We are passionate. We are not going anywhere. We have many feelings and I want us all to share them together. So the last day of the drive, Maximum Fun Drive ends on Friday, May 6th. You could do it tomorrow, but we're running out of tomorrows in the Max Fun Drive. So just go do it right now. Do it today. Go support Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org slash join. I've been talking with the one and only Janet Varney about the one and only Heavenly Creatures, directed by Peter Jackson, who also co-wrote the movie with his wife and constant collaborator, screenwriter Fran Walsh. Let's get back to that conversation. And because because you're a, a thoughtful individual that I've already had a conversation with before, I wanted to bring like a thought experiment question here. Mm. There was a, a couple of a number of years ago at this point, it was on the 60th anniversary of Ingrid Bergman's movie Persona. Emily Yoshida wrote a wonderful essay for Vulture um, recognizing the anniversary of the movie and talking about how it existed in the cinematic tradition of men being afraid of women alone together. Mm-hmm. And there, with, you know, given the domination of behind the camera work by by men uh, male directors instead of female directors throughout time and i think peter jackson handles this very well i love this movie. i think he loves those girls and i, I also think, feel like his relationship with fran walsh i yes. feel he has a who, who, very who feminine wrote the movie with he yes. wrote the movie i think with. he and fran are sort of uh a single person mm-hmm. in the way that they work intellectually and artistically together and so yeah. i feel like you really feel you feel that. You feel the femininity in it and you feel yeah. the sort of tenderness for them in that way. And so with this is like this is a, a tan like this movie is kind of a tangent off that category, but I just sort of wanted to ask you for your thoughts generally about that, like what is it about women alone together that just seems to possibly scare men yeah. so much to the point of making so much art about how crazy we're gonna fucking get. Yeah. Without supervision. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is this sort of, again, I'm not excusing sexism because I'm not, because why would I? But <laughs> yeah. this sort of understood idea going all the way back to what, like Lysistrata or whatever. What's the whatever was the Greek play where the women withhold sex from the oh, men yeah, so yeah, that they yeah. don't go to war? Lysistrata. So this so. There has long been this idea in straight culture that, like, women are the ones running things. And <laughs> yeah. so, like, maybe the upshot of that is that, you know, part of that, and in some men's point of view, is just an, a natural exploration of already knowing that's what's happening. Uh-huh. And <laughs> what if it were just overt and, like, out there? Mm-hmm. Or what if, you know, it was allowed to be carried to whatever the metaphorically frightening level would be? Uh-huh. But, um, but also, there is that titillation, too, right? It's like, ugh, yeah. you know... Not only am I terrified by them, but what if what if I'm also excited by what's happening there? And what if I'm not necessary? What if they don't need me? What if they don't need me? What if they what if, what I'm if everything they're getting is fine? <laughs> and like what if I'm, I'm pointless works. Yeah. What if they're just good on that island? That's really scary. To, I think that's that's that is can be very scary. And that was certainly I mean, that's something that remains. And again, I have a lot of empathy for, you know, I've never been in a relationship with I've I've certainly been in relationships with women where they continued to have feelings for men and mm-hmm wanted to act on those feelings and I've been that person I've never been I had not I have never been with a a a gentleman or male identifying person who also felt they could be honest with me about continuing to be attracted to other men so Mm. I've never confronted that Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. because it would be new for me I can't say if I would feel jealousy. I feel like I've sort of gotten to work through what it means in those other contexts. But I don't know what would happen if, you know, if my if my if my male partner said, you know, I love you. You're my soulmate. I absolutely do have, you know, I would love to 
explore some of these feelings I'm having. I don't know. I would love to say that I'm so woke that I would be <laughs> yeah. like, go for it, baby. Like, I'll be yeah. imagining yeah. your penis rubbing against another penis. Like, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I wish I knew it could but, be but me. But I, I think I would be, I think I would feel a sense of sort of like, oh, no, a thing I don't have, to, I can't offer. Like, I think that might happen. Um, I assume that would happen with I would be sad that I didn't have all the all the things. Yeah. And again, like it wouldn't be like a resentment or if it or if it would just be like, oh, fuck. Yeah. That's just out of that's out out of my. Yeah. You got got me. me. There's not like a way I can better myself to change that circumstance. Yeah. Communication on my part (laughs) isn't going to fix that. Right. Right. You know, it's just it's entirely different. You don't Mm -hmm. because because of where the power sits and has sat, you know, you don't like who knows if women were if 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 we had been a matriarchal society, maybe there would be a ton of like really like tawdry movies about gay men, about like what (laughs) happens when you leave men to their own devices. Wave of the 90s. And there's men and men. Yes. The the women at the helm of like and then they just adopted a baby (laughs) and they robbed a bank. And they and then I never saw them again. <laughs> and then like, and then their male nanny started having right. sex with the husband. That's right. And it's like let's just chaos. Redo. The 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 answer to the dearth of, of erotic thrillers is to let's just gender swap them all and see That's what right. happens. That's right. <laughs> it's not it's it's not an experiment I would hate. I think I might <laughs> I think I might really appreciate that. How do you fear feel about like the queer villainy? Like because there's the reality that the villains are, like, the funnest, most cool characters to play. Yeah. And then there's the reality, too, that, like, queerness is aligned with danger and threat. Psychopathy. And, like, Let's just yeah. call it what it is. I mean, yeah. I think it's 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 often aligned with mental illness and psychopathy. And that fe- that feels like a piece on a continuum, and I'm done with that piece. Like, I can be nostalgic okay. for that piece. Yeah. Um, and I and those movies, there's just, as we have established in this episode, there's a lot of them. There's we're so good. Many. I kind of feel like we're good. Uh-huh, <laughs> like, uh-huh. okay. We'll okay. always have those. You can completely have that. But I feel like we've sort of, we've, we've harvested all of that. And I think it's time to, and we have been, but like, I'm, I'm eager for there to be more and more content that um, in which that that sexuality or or that queerness is a little more incidental. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that important films can't or shouldn't be made purely about the experience of being queer, of course. But also, it's just OK to like have a movie in which, you know, someone is poly and it's not like they're not also a psychopath. <laughs> Because that's a because a high sex drive. That's what's associated with is a high sex drive. Like, oh, if you you know what I mean, the libidin- the, libidinous femme fatale. Yes, in particular, bisexuality or 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 general sort of polyamory is you know is is sort of you know like if 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 you if you're that attracted to that many people, probably mm-hmm. there's something going on there. Like, do you're high, <laughs> you have a really high adrenaline threshold and a high dopamine threshold, and you just want to have sex all the time. You know, I, there's probably something going on. There. And they're and they're really get yeah, checked out. Yeah, and there is like there. I, that's something that's kind of highlighted with, you know, you you sort of hear that in in this in with in the whispers of 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 crime as well like oh yeah. this person you know it's because they were closeted and so yeah. they were they had a wife but they really also wanted to have sex with men but actually they liked having sex with their wife because they were a psychopath they liked having sex with everyone <laughs> therefore do you know what i mean and yes. and so i think those things got linked early on in kind of modern psychiatry and um you know and and being homosexual was you know in in the big old book of what can be wrong with you yeah. and you let's know put that in the dsm let's put that in the dsm and so you know those things are still i think we just have to work harder to pull them apart because um they're still associated with each other kind of a lot considering that it's that's 2022 and how much and how how wonderful stuff is happening all the time um kind of advancing the way we see queerness um though that has so i think that's kind of a lingering thing that is maybe still a problem what do you think well i i see i'm so mad at the amount of time spent stigmatizing queerness and aligning it with villainy so as to create a 
pejorative association automatically right. between a queer person in a villainous role to where to have somebody be a queer villain in something now, it can't just be a fun thing on its own necessarily. It comes with a fucking century of baggage right. in cinema where it's like, wh- I can't divorce myself from the fact that like a killer, it's still hard for me in my mind for a killer to just happen to be gay, perhaps. Right. Because it's attached to this long tradition right. of associating that queerness intrinsically right. with what is broken in them and what is evil. And I'm really fucking pissed about it because I want all villains to be queer because that's the best parts. I know. I know. I want all, I want every villain I love to be queer because you're going to chew the screen more than anybody else. You're going to be the one people are talking about. You're going to be the fucking icon. We don't talk about basic instinct because... (laughs) Nobody's talking about Michael Douglas and basic instinct. Michael Douglas is... Nobody is talking about Michael Douglas. No, but we're not talking about fatal attraction because Glenn Close was a runner-up in that movie. Like, no, we talk about these movies. We, We talk... I love The Crush. Yeah. Because Alicia Silverstone is so fucking magnetic in like the first role of her career that I'm like that is a movie star showing out yeah and so like I just it pisses me off no I completely get it I know I completely get it divorce ourselves that's why I'm saying like we got to get to the equilibrium we got to get to the equilibrium where we can be in a place where it's 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 it doesn't have to be purely incidental but it doesn't mean anything societally (laughs) that we have to worry about when Mm -hmm. there's a fucking awesome sexy brilliant villain in a movie who's queer like it's it doesn't mean like oh no it's a vilification of the the concept with the giant c you know it's it's that it that it, (laughs) that it can just be enjoyable and give you that same rush that you get from loving a really good villain absolutely i completely understand what you're saying uh for sure I, I wanted to ask about like when you when you saw this movie and it you you know if there was like a resonant connection with you and and, the, and this these characters this you know particularly Kate in this movie um was it a welcome sort of sense of recognition yes. or was it it was like oh good thank god it wasn't like oh I'm connecting in not ways at where all. I'm like no oh, not shit. at all like I don't think well that's the I don't thing know where is you're that, at in your like queerness journey no that's a time. great question that's a great question I don't. I never I never worried that my feelings were dangerous. I never oh, worried great. that great. that uh, I definitely felt like and even when I, and when I was that age frankly I I wish I could say that I was so self-aware or so so societally aware that <laughs> right, I was right. worried about all of these like dangerous queer characters happening I think I was just like I'm in heaven like I don't (laughs) think I was thinking past the fact that this was happening at all and that's just my honest you know I mean again I like I was a kid so um so I definitely didn't feel that way and you know I mean this again to be in an in an age where you know you like many of us are sort of flirting with you know I did all of the stuff right around the same time queerness in film has been a forever for me there's no like that's just always okay but 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 certainly as a teenager you know i definitely went through the like you know and still actually totally love like the goth phase and you know the sort of like i'm wearing a dog collar for me not for you (laughs) and so you know i you know i i was I was super into a Clockwork Orange, and I I certainly was not experiencing it as a literal like oh he's hurting a poor little old lady like there was yeah. it was way high art in my mind and I wasn't because <laughs> I was an empathetic kid I was not like oh in real life if you did this like you'd be a monster I just wasn't looking at it that way and that was no, that that's sort of a, I mean, adrenaline that's the fun rush. of watching things when you're little is yeah. that you just kind of like my first movie memory is of watching Hellraiser. And I was probably five. Oh, boy. And that, it was just fucking cool. Yeah. Like, I'm not thinking about pain as pleasure and pleasure as pain and, like, what hell means and why it's erotic that Frank's, like, all, like, pulled apart by (laughs) hooks and stuff. I'm just like, Cenobites are fucking awesome. Yeah. Like, a skeleton just came out of a blood pile (laughs) in the attic. This is amazing. (laughs) 
And it's, it's, there's something so special about being able to, like, even watching, and I don't think Hellraiser is problematic. It's just, like, super kinky. Yeah. Like, it, there's something very special about the the naive the naive period of your life when you can watch problematic things and just take them at face oh value. Oh my god! Absolutely, absolutely. And and be absolutely. like, oh, I'll, later I'm gonna unpack. Yeah. Everything about that, yeah. but right now I'm just kind of gonna be like, later I'm gonna be like, RoboCop is a satire of state violence. But right. when I'm little, I just get to be like, RoboCop fucking rules. Uh-huh. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Um, but yeah, so this, so I felt, I definitely felt seen by this movie. I definitely, I I was very troubled that they do kill uh, Honora and I didn't, and I still don't, from a, like, can I put myself in the shoes of these girls place? I can't yeah. wrap my head around it. Um, but yes, from a, from a sort of metaphorical like, you don't want things to keep you apart. And also in a very literal way, I had a friend that I was desperately in love with that I wanted to s- sleep in the same bed with every night that we, you know, it was like part of that language was we each could date the same person and it wouldn't make it would it was be like you you could date either one of us and it would be like dating the same person, right, uh, which right, is right, yeah. this way that you're sort of navigating your sexuality in in those times when you have these very intimate relationships that kind of bleed over one into, you know, whether they're platonic or not. And and her mom at a po- at some point was like, I don't think this is good. Like, yeah. I definitely would like our daughters to like, I think she talked to my dad and was uh-huh. like, I <laughs> feel that they shouldn't spend less time together. Uh, I don't think they're good for each other. I don't think they're good influences on each other. And my dad was like, eh, like, I'm not worried about it. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, she. so I we did have this sort of like, you know, fuck your mom. Yeah, like, yeah. she doesn't get it and she never will. So on a literal level, level, I did understand that. That being said, I certainly didn't carry it into any kind of fantasy of like ending the life of, of you know, my friend's mom. Um, no, but, but again, when you're a teenager... You can you you sort of have the like oh thank you for that catharsis of this thing happening but it doesn't end happily it's not like it you know that's no. the other thing is that you don't it's they don't and he could have you could sort of see because of the way the movie um, is written and shot and everything you were talking about with its how stylized it is you could sort of see him decide he and Fran deciding to have them oh, yeah. sort of fade into their world and sort of that would have made imply sense like Peter they're Jackson. just gonna have to she's gonna have to just like disappear into that place and because yeah. they're both going to prison in separate places <laughs> so yeah. they're just gonna have to live in their heads even more and sort of create and and leave you with that feeling of like we'll always have each other and you don't you feel like they got torn apart you feel like the thing that they were trying to prevent they just guaranteed was going to happen and it's heartbreaking and it's you know you see them it's it, it she's leaving on a on a steamer ship that in this <laughs> uh, in this sort of sapia fantasy that we've seen earlier in the in the movie yeah. they're together on that ship and now she's she's leaving and they're both and it's again so stylized they're both just crying you can tell that it's ADR that it's not and it's not about <laughs> Mel matching her lip flaps with her crying it is yeah. this echoey screaming horror feeling that these two girls are having and oh, um God. and it's really upsetting it's really upsetting i love what this movie does to honor how big and catastrophic and life ending i can't speak to being a teenage boy because it never was one but like how that feels when you're a teenage girl and when your life changes in a big way could be even in a moderate way but in a big way and maybe this person that you need you just need for some reason is like it is it is they might they could be moving a a town away yeah and it's they might as well be getting on that fucking steamship absolutely and i love when things give the gravity of the apocalypse to the emotional experiences of teenage girls it's so important and it's important because you know, and this movie reminds us of that because of the era in which this all took place is like the less you acknowledge that exists, the more dangerous it becomes, because that is when kids commit suicide. That is when you feel like there's like when something has shattered you to that point, it does feel like there's nothing past this. I don't feel like there's anything past this. And 
in order to be able to talk about it and in order to be able to ideally show up for those young people and and be and find a way in a language to say I both 100% know what you're feeling and it is real and I also need to take you to the other side of this. Please yes. let me or let us or let someone take you to the other side of this because you will be okay. Yeah. And some kids don't get that messaging and they do take their lives. And, you know, that you, this kind of thing is, it's like, I, I mean, it's so important to honor that, Jordan. I completely mm-hmm. agree with you. It's so important to honor that. And I think the where it gets tricky is people worry that honoring that is, is deifying it versus, no, we just need a language to talk about this that doesn't minimize the mm-hmm. intensity of that, because that's a mistake. That's not going to get you where you need to be with teenagers like I was, who felt like my world was ending. Having that be minimized would just send me further into isolation rather than feeling seen. Well, then my my final question to you would be uh, to to give us a levity on the way out. What is what is uh, something that has brought you like queer joy lately? What's what's a queer joy uplift that we, uh, we should send people off? With? That's a great question. Oh, my gosh. I'm so bad at thinking about things on the no, and this is like this is one one of those most rude questions. It's like, tell me your favorite movies on the spot. Go, and you're like, I've never seen a movie. Hi, I, don't have I play any Mash. I play Mash, and I <laughs> cannot play Mash on the other side in any way. I'm just trying to think of what, yeah, what sort of is just joyful. Yeah, okay. Uh, 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 sex education. Sex education okay. is a great. I love that show. I love everything it's doing. It's so joyful. But it's it doesn't pull its punches in terms of that emotional feeling of being a teenager. It okay. tackles some really tough stuff, but it's there's a sweetness and a lightness to it that it always returns to. So it's sort of stasis. Like it's, you okay. know, it's 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 equilibrium is like to kind of come back to this place of like total joy and celebration. And oh. there's plenty of of queer joy uh, that's part of that. And it's great. Excellent. If you haven't, you guys haven't seen Heavenly Creatures. It's not the easiest movie to find. So either no, just buy I had a- to watch. I had to rewatch it at, with Spanish subtitles on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's either like you could on go sight unseen, buy a copy and yeah. own it because yeah. it's, it's very a great special. movie. Uh, hit, I don't. Even, I checked the Los Angeles Public Library system and I could not find a copy. Of I this. love that you did that, though. I love that you I, did that because they could. Was, They've got a lot. Shout out to the library the book by Susan like, Orlean. Yeah, but find Heavenly Creatures and then also treat yourself to the uh, the uplift after the ubiquitously available Sex Education because that's a Netflix program. That's right, baby. Thank you so much, Janet, for bringing your joy and your intellect to this conversation. I really, really like talking to you. I love talking to you. I knew that we were both just going to have all of our synapses firing, and (laughs) I'm I'm floating on a high from it. I love talking to you. I talk to you about anything, but particularly stuff like this. I just I just love it. I'm really happy about it. So thank you so much for taking the time. Me too. Thanks for listening, everybody, and. Maximum fun, maximum fun, maximum fun. Yeah, max fun, max fun, max fun, max fun. Pledge drive, pledge drive, pledge drive. <laughs> Janet Varney, guys, if you're if you're listening out there, give a round of applause to yourself uh, for Janet Varney. Uh, I loved being on her show. I love that she wanted to come on to mine. It makes me feel special, and it makes me feel popular. And now, of course, I've got that one quick thing before I go. And I just wanted to touch on Peter Jackson. Um, obviously, I, you know, this is a tuned in audience. The Max Max Fun listeners are people who are in the know. Um, but I find it does tend to slip past people that Peter Jackson, the, the man who brought the great Lord of the Rings trilogy to life uh, in such spectacular fashion... Uh, his humble beginnings in New Zealand are as a horror director, a kind of trash horror director. That's obviously not what Heavenly Creatures is. It, that is not trash cinema. But movies like Bad Taste and Dead Alive are spectacles of um, outlandish practical effects, uh, dripping, oozing gore, uh, kind of maniacal, good-natured uh, violence and thrills. 
And I encourage everybody to go find those early movies. Uh, check them out. Heavenly Creatures, obviously wonderful. Obviously pretty hard to find. Uh, Dead Alive and Bad Taste. Go hit those up. And I, we mentioned it in this conversation. The Frighteners. The Frighteners is one of my like low-key MVP uh, scary movies of all time. I think it's one of the best things Michael J. Fox has ever done. Uh, the effects, even now when you watch it, um, are they, they hold up really well. It is, and it, it points to some, some of the effects hold up really well. Some of them are so kind of of their era. They're charming. Uh, it is, it's, it's fucked up. It is uh, goofy. It is kind of off the rails. And that is uh, exactly what I think of when I think of early Peter Jackson horror. So go uh, expand your expand your Jackson palette. Uh, see what the, you know, famous steward of the hobbits did before he got a gajillion dollars to render one of the most well-realized uh, fantasy films slash series uh, of all time onto the screen. Go check out those those little beginnings because I always like to know an origin story. You got you got a little uh you got your Melanie Linsky and you got your Kate Winslet and Heavenly Creatures doing sublime work. Uh so go check some of the other hidden talents out uh in his earlier filmography. I think you'll have a really fun time. Uh it's it's like it's gross out kind of stuff, but it's also like in its way family friendly. The the Frighteners was a house favorite in the Cruciola house. We we loved it. We had the uh, holographic VHS uh, sleeve cover for our movie, and I would pick it up, and I would, you know, what is that called? Like, lenticular image, and I would, like, you know, hold it back, you know, hold it, sway it back and forth so I could see a little frightener face on the cover. Go check it out. It's a good time. Subscribe to Maximum Fun, as always. Uh, This is the last time of the year that I'm going to ask you that. So, listen to me one more time. The URL is maximumfun.org slash join and that those are your marching orders for today as we request your assistance in uh, existing and making really cool stuff that makes you and us very happy so that is our show you can follow us on twitter at feeling pod or join our facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash feeling pod you can also send us an email at feeling at maximumfun.org if you want to follow me, I'm Jor Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.